If you have a copy of God's Word or it's printed there for you in the bulletin, we'll continue what we started last week, which will carry us through the fall, a series through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians, looking at chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And if you were with us last week, it's okay if you weren't. Um, we, we looked into God's peace granted uh, through His grace. Uh, that's the book of Ephesians who uh, wouldn't want that, especially a peace as we saw last week. If you, even if you look, at the, look back at the first chapter later this afternoon or something like that, uh, a peace uh, that is consumed in every blessing that is uh, Christ's. Adopted. Paul uses these really, really rich words in uh, the first 14 verses of his letter uh, to the Ephesians. Adopted and redeemed and forgiven and lavishly uh, loved, uniting us to himself, inheritance uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful and gloriously. Uh, gloriously overwhelming uh, language that uh, Paul uses. This isn't um, uh, this isn't abnormal for Paul to start a letter uh, like this. To start a letter with a greeting, um, and even to start a letter with a greeting that's followed uh, by a prayer, which we'll consider uh, this morning. But maybe as you've read and as we'll continue to read through the book of Ephesians, you'll notice it's. It's a customary start to uh, the way Paul writes a letter, but it's got some distinct uh, differences as well. Why? Uh, Why does Paul start in this way? Well, if you know anything about the book of Ephesians, if you read a little history, uh, Paul is driving at God's peace through His grace because in Ephesus it was not peaceful at this time, especially for Christians. It was not uh, peaceful at all around 60 A.D. because for two and a half years, Paul had been preaching and teaching in the fourth largest city in the known world, right in uh, the lap of the Greek god Artemis. And he had been preaching the truth about Jesus and His salvation and hope and glory, and it had become a problem. Uh, People were coming to Christ. And people were relishing in the grace of Christ, forgiveness in Him. People were coming to this newly established church so much so that it caused quite a stir and quite an uprising. And the Roman government had to get involved and it was soon to be an eradication of Paul and those who were in the same vein as Paul. Those times are anything but peaceful. Um, those times uh, sound, um, sound familiar. And so Paul is in jail and his new friends and followers of Christ are frenetic and struggling. And so he opens this letter with a reminder of peace in Christ. Peace in Christ, uh, especially when everything around you is not uh, that. 
And so uh, what we want to consider uh, this morning is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, the essence of uh, living in grace. We've kind of adopted, I, I don't know why well, I say adopted, we've kind of started a little bit of a new tradition. Um, if you're able and willing, if you'd stand uh, uh, as we read God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, we'll read through verse 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what it what it what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fulfills all in all. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Nothing, um, nothing makes you more aware and appreciative of essential needs like crisis, right? Now, we just experienced this a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're still in this hurricane season where you never know what's going to brew up out of the Gulf, and you never know which direction it's going to come, whether it be Florida, whether it be Texas. Uh, you, you never know what the case uh, may be. My heart uh, breaks as I'm sure yours does for our friends uh, to the south. But it's not just hurricane crisis that remind us of our essential needs. You guys tried to go buy food and water and stuff like that from Walmart, and it's not there, right? Uh, it's not just hurricanes, though. It's my heart breaks for our friends in Afghanistan, uh, as I'm sure uh, yours does as well under a new rule and regime, uh, even our own lingering struggles with uh, this pandemic, uh, the fractured nature of our society and uh, government, especially uh, even as we honored, uh, I guess that's the right word, honored, celebrated seems a little odd, but uh, maybe as we honored uh, yesterday being 9-11, there's still folks who are grieving the loss of loved ones and grieving uh, the horrors uh, that uh, took place. And I don't mean to cast a, cast a shadow 
uh, over uh, this morning, a negative outlook over our worship, but hardship and crisis and difficulty and trials, uh, they make us more aware and appreciative of our essential needs. They, it, 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 they just do. Um, it's a good question for us to start with, I think, this morning. What do you need most this morning? Why, on a Sunday morning when you could have been doing a million other things, we trust and believe as led by the Spirit, He brought you here for what? Why are you here this morning? What is the most essential? Why would you come here to try to receive something? And what is it that you're trying to receive? Paul says the essential needs of the believer as seen in God's grace, especially in times of difficulty, are five things, and I want us to consider these five things. Hopefully, you saw them in uh, this passage. Knowledge, hope, inheritance, power, and the church. We're going to look at those uh, five things, hopefully quickly, um, this morning. I'm thankful, and I, I want to certainly... Make, you know, this happens for pastors as well. Um, my dear friends uh, who are pastors and study God's Word, I oftentimes listen to their sermons, and sometimes they're so good that they minister to my soul. And I can't help but look and say, I'm going to have to borrow some of this. And so I'm thankful uh, to my friend Brian Sorgenfry, who ministered to my soul uh, in this uh, passage, and I hope. Uh, to yours as well. Okay, Paul says our, one of our essential, most basic needs uh, for Christians to feel the peace of God's grace is a need for knowledge. Uh, God has united us in faith and love and friendship to Christ, and Paul is compelled in this first, look in verse 17 with me, he's compelled to the core of their being, the eyes of their heart, that they know their heavenly Father. It's as simple as that. That they know their heavenly Father more intimately with the Spirit's giving them wisdom and understanding and revelation. It, it would be a fascinating case study that, that we, if we had the time that we could do uh, here the, this morning. Let's take a group of kindergartners. There are some of them here in this room. I thought I saw, I thought I saw, I know there's some haze in the balcony. Yep, and I thought I saw Toby. Let's take a group of, there you are, I see you, buddy. Let's take a group of kindergartners and let's ask them, what do you need most? Fascinating question, wouldn't it be? Well, I need to win the race on the playground. That's, that's my biggest need today, is to win the race on the playground next week, right? Or, or we don't have to go to the playground. We could go. There's something about the Walmart aisle with all the toys and the checkout aisle that makes children, especially toddlers, needs just go crazy, doesn't it? You remember that. You've experienced that. You walk past the toy aisle and it's just 
all of a sudden we need everything. Or in you're checking out and it's like chocolate. Right? It's fascinating what our what our what our biggest and deepest needs are. Move into adulthood, and I, I, I don't mean this demeaning at all at all. Move into adulthood and you just get a more sophisticated version of that. Right? You just get a more sophisticated version of that that uses, um, that uses words like success and influence and friend groups and social status and standing and stability and security and affirmation. And then you move later into uh, life and we use words like health and well-being and retirement and etc. And none of those things are unimportant. That's not to say that these things are, um, are, are not important and not viable. It is to ask this question. Is it possible, though, that through the ages and stages of life, that things aren't nearly as, as important as we thought? Is that possible? That things aren't nearly as important uh, as we thought. Dale, I don't know, brother, you've been here a while. Winning the race on the playground, I don't suspect that's very high on your list right now, is it? We love you, but I mean, you see the reality, don't you? You see the reality. Things aren't as important as they once were. And that being the case, then, isn't it also possible that there are a few foundational needs behind every other need? And so we have this growing knowledge, the growing knowledge of needs. Paul says, our greatest need behind every other need is what? That we know our Heavenly Father. That we know our Heavenly Father. The more we grow into that need, the more we are maturing holistically. Let's ask this question uh, maybe this way. Where are the places in your life that you feel most needy? Uh, where are the places in your life where anxiety shows up? Uh, where decision making and relationships and control and loss, uh, where, where do those things uh, uh, show up in your life? What is the most important thing or what if the most important thing is not knowing how those things are going to happen? or not knowing how things are going to turn out, or if you're going to be accepted, or if you're going to have to get things under control, but knowing God. That's what Paul is saying here. To know that He loves you and your circumstances far more than you ever thought you knew. His intimate knowledge of you is far greater than any intimacy you've ever experienced uh, here in this earth. His deep abiding knowledge of you that is in uh, His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Father knows us to the core of our being and has sacrificed everything for us. And Paul says our existence then is for the purpose of knowing God more intimately. That's your deepest need. Did you know that was your deepest need uh, coming here this morning? If your growing knowledge of God was most real and your chief pursuit, how would that change the way you live? 
How would that change the way you live? Paul prays for his friends that they would know God more. Know Him according to what? That's another good question. Know God more according to to what? His Word as revealed in Jesus, which is difficult for us, isn't it? Because we often want to know God on our own terms when we can't get our circumstances handled. And Paul says our elemental need is to know God according to His shared wisdom and His revelation. To know God as we find in the Scriptures and to know God as we see in Jesus. And that knowledge is life-changing. So the first need is that we know God more deeply. Paul goes on in verse 18, look with me if you will, to say a second basic elemental need for followers of Christ, especially when times aren't peaceful, is that we need for hope. We need for knowledge and we need for hope. As we develop and grow in our love and knowledge of God, we also grow in the importance of placing our hope in what is most real. Paul is forcing awareness into this truth. If what captivates our affections for the future, if what captivates our affections for the future is found in this world, you are going to be disappointed often. What captures our affections for the future? I've learned uh, through my children, uh, certainly not uh, because of myself, I've learned a lot about hope uh, through my children in this sport of cross-country running. I don't know how many of you have participated in uh, that type of thing. I've learned that uh, you have to be able to see past your current sufferings and pain uh, to something that awaits you at the end. If you don't, you won't make it. It's interesting to watch. It's so fascinating to watch uh, these cross-country uh, races because at the beginning, there's all sorts of eagerness and there's all sorts of angst and there's all sorts of hopes and there's all sorts of goals and dreams and all of these sort of things. But guess what? When that gun goes off, it can fade pretty quickly. Although everything that was built up before that race can fade so quickly if there's not something that these runners are looking toward beyond the next step. The pain, the suffering, the lactic acid buildup, the lung explosion, it's enough to dash any hopes within the first mile. And there's two more to go. And so you have to have some sort of hope uh, beyond what we currently, beyond what they currently feel. Listen to how Paul describes this in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Paul wants his hearers to know that if their hope is in anything outside of God's call on their life, outside of Jesus' call on their life, their life will feel shaky. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever experienced that sort of shakiness in life when you hope in something that can't deliver uh, for you? Whether it be friendships or whether it be productivity or whether, uh, whether it be you hope in your children or your accomplishments or maybe some of us hope in just being right or money or beauty or even living in this life for as long as you can in this life, you're going to be anxious and you're going to be uneasy because all of those things can disappear. All of those things can disappear. And so, it's, of course, we look at the brokenness of this world and it feels a little hopeless. Christians certainly feel hopeless uh, sometimes in this world. Uh, but... Paul wants us to see the hope which we've been called to in Christ, which looks for a better day, which hopes in a better day, a day in which the Father will restore original creation through the return of His Son, through uh, the second Adam, creation restored and sorrow quenched and shame vanquished and brokenness healed ultimately by Jesus. There is real healing in hope that is set on the right thing. And Paul calls us not only to know God deeper, but also to hope, uh, to hope in Jesus. But then, third, essential uh, to the Christian faith is a need to see an inheritance. Look in verses eight, verse 18 with me. Need to see an inheritance. Now, all, you know, all of you know what an inheritance is. Uh, spiritually speaking, we often correlate inheritance with what we just talked about, the second coming of Christ and heaven. Um, but Paul does something different here when he says the riches of his, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's something a little different. I don't know if you noticed that or not. The glorious riches, not of our inheritance, but of His inheritance. In the saints, Paul's flipping the script here. Inheritance is incredibly valuable. It's that which gives life and joy and we treasure it because it blesses us with riches. That's the essential nature of uh, inheritance, but Paul says God has an inheritance, and guess what it is? You. Paul says God's inheritance in Christ is you. It's all over the scriptures. God calls Israel, He calls His church, He calls His people His treasured possession. You see that? Let that sink in on you for just a moment. There is no other explainable reason why Jesus left heaven. Why He lived perfectly. Why He suffered immeasurably. Why He died horrifically. And why He rose victoriously if you aren't of infinite value to the Father. I, I don't... I don't think we think of ourselves that way. Paul is saying, you make God feel rich. 
because of what He's done for you in Jesus. It's hard to believe, isn't it? (laughs) It's hard to believe. We don't celebrate it very well either. Especially when everything around us hints at our, or hints or crushes us with failures and worthlessness. And the Father says, the Father says, I love you so much that I'm going to make all your failures become of great value through Jesus by faith in Him through repentance. You can't experience that anywhere else on this earth. That someone says, I'm going to make your greatest failure that which is most valuable because of forgiveness. Where else, where else are you going to experience that? God's saying, you are my inheritance. You are my prized possession. It begs the question, what else more do you need to know this morning? You're God's inheritance. You are essential to Him. So much so that He gave His Son. So Paul says, the heart of being a believer, what we come back to when times aren't peaceful, is knowledge of God, hope in God, reminder that we are His inheritance. In verse 19, that, that God's power is directed towards us. And what is, Paul says in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? Listen, Paul's saying there's a power at work in this universe that is directed toward you, that is at work in you, a power that you have never seen nor experienced its likeness ever. And it is funneled directly at you because you are hidden in Him. A power so great that it's already conquered our worst fear, our worst nightmare, our biggest struggle, death. The American economy, the world's economy, and all of its billions and trillions of dollars, all of it has been directed at trying to keep us here on this earth longer. And it can't do it. Why? Because everybody's going to die. Except for one person. One person who defeated death. One man who defeated death already. He defeated death and sin. And that power that defeated death and sin is at work in you. You see, Christianity isn't just a bunch of rules and theology. It's a living power. Is what Paul says. That has real tangible effects for you and I uh, today. Especially when we struggle with deep-seated sin that you don't want anybody else in this room to know about. That power has real change and real healing for deep-seated hurts and abuses and crutches. And the question is, will you bring those things to Jesus? Trust Him with those things and keep repenting of those things this morning. His, His power has changed the world. Jesus' power has changed the world. 
why is it that we think He can't change us? So Paul says, we need to see and cling to Jesus' power. Knowledge and hope and inheritance and power and last the church in verses 20 through, 22 through 23. Why does Paul conclude his prayer with this? Why does Paul conclude this way? Because he wants you to know where all of Jesus' power and Jesus' authority and Jesus' dominion is directed. Every ounce of it. There's not, a, there's not a little bit of Jesus' power that is set aside for this. All of Jesus' power is set aside and directed and aimed at one place, the church. That's countercultural, especially socioeconomically in our world today. Everything around us says if you want to really invest, Okay, if you want to really invest and grow, you better diversify, right? You better you better diversify. Spread your resources among entities because there's more room for growth and there's less liability were one of those entities to struggle. And Jesus says, "No, no, I'm all in on the one thing that matters most." To me, and I guarantee that its diversity will bring joy and restoration to all things. The church. And look, I know we're not perfect here. (laughs) Uh, Faith Presbyterian Church is messy. And it's a tangled web of opinions and difficulty and pandemics and attrition and being a man down and hurting sheep. But you can be sure of this. You you can be sure of this, that week in and week out, you will see and hear more singularly than any other place in your life, you will See and hear your Savior Jesus. His hope, His inheritance, His power, and hopefully all this drawing you to know Him more deeply. Now, will that knowledge and that hope and that power and that inheritance, uh, will will that solve all your problems? Will it make your your tensions and your trials, especially the ones that you're in right now, will it make them go, go away? No. That's not what Jesus promised. Jesus didn't promise that through knowledge of Him and through inheritance and through hope and through power and through the church that we were just going to live blissfully forever. That's not what He promised. What He promised is through His knowledge and through His hope and through His inheritance and through His power and through His church, He would change you. That's what's most important is that as we, the church, are being changed, then we go out from this place and we're changing a world that God is recreating in your work, in your families, in your relationships. And then we come back Sunday after Sunday and we do it all over again. The essential, basic needs of the believer. 
The things that we have to come back to week in and week out, especially, especially when times aren't peaceful. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We, we can be such simple-minded creatures. And sometimes, you know, sometimes five things to think about and to mull on and to digest and to chew on. Uh, those, it's really helpful. And I'm thankful, Father, that this morning through your word, through your saint, Paul, uh, that, that you've given us simple, although very difficult to do, simple truths to come back to. Simple simple hopes, uh, simple beliefs, Lord, that we can stake our lives on. And that as we stake our lives on, we can see you move in and through those things to change us. Would you do that for us, Lord? Nothing would be more encouraging to us this morning than if you would use the knowledge of you and the hope in you and the inheritance and power through this church uh, to change us. Uh, Father, would you do that for us in Jesus' name? Amen.